What is up, guys? Welcome back to In My Non-Expert Opinion. Many of you may have seen my social media. I am moving to Sydney, Australia next week, and I thought, why not recap my Euro trip from earlier in the summer and discuss that with someone who lived abroad so we can transition into conversations around me moving abroad. So today, my episode is with Brianna Vaxmanski. She has a new last name because she married a Danish guy that I cannot pronounce. She will pronounce it on the show, but it is so exciting to have her on because she lived in Denmark and Spain, so she knows exactly what it's like being an expat. So we talk about our trip to Europe, what it's like living abroad, adjustments she had to make, and even gave me advice so when I go to Sydney, I'm not completely lost. I hope you guys find value in this. If you are thinking of moving, DM me. You can DM Brianna. We both have great advice. It's just different because we went to different places. Like I'm going to an English-speaking country and she went to two non-English-speaking places. So it's just a really interesting perspective. So with that, let's hear about our Euro trip and living abroad. Okay, guys, I'm here with Brianna Vaxmanski, a.k.a. Brianna how the f do you say your last name? <laughs> Look and go. Le- what the hell did you say? <laughs> Look and go. Exactly. Okay, so I have a friend that is one of my best friends from high school who married a Danish guy and now has a Danish last name that you guys just heard. Lives in Denmark, met him in Barcelona. So I figured who would be better to recap our Euro trip than the girl that basically was our tour guide the entire time that has lived in Europe, which is Brianna. So Brianna, welcome to the show. We're going to dive into everything about our trip and then just living over there in general. Okay, I'm ready. Brianna's had three glasses of wine, so (laughs) better be ready at this point. Okay, we're going to talk about our trip. We're going to talk about everything we did, the culture over there. You've had three glasses of wine. I have not, so this should be an interesting interview. I mean, this is the Spanish way. You have to drink, drink after dinner, dinner, before dinner, before lunch. That's what you got to do. We're, yeah, you're right. This isn't weird. We're just doing it the Spanish way. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about how we decided on this trip. So I wanted to go on a Euro trip, but you were actually thinking about moving back to Europe with your husband because he's Danish mm-hmm. and you used to live in Barcelona. And so I was like, well, wait a second. Why don't we go to Barcelona? You can be our tour guide. Then I'll go visit my sister who's studying abroad in Mallorca. And then I'll end in Copenhagen where you actually live. And then you were like, yeah, that sounds good. And do you remember though? I was like, you have to come this weekend to Copenhagen because distortion was happening. That's how it all started. Yes. So there is a festival called Distortion. Can you explain what that is? Okay. So it's basically like a street festival where each neighborhood has different bars set up, music playing. It's everyone who's young, anyone who's anyone, everybody's there. They're all drinking. Everyone's in the street just dancing. It's very casual. You don't have to buy tickets or anything, but it's like very well known in Copenhagen. So if you live here every year, you look forward to it. So people will like host a brunch, everyone drinks and gets a little tipsy. And then you walk out into the street and just like dance and drink. And it's like Mardi Gras and crack the Danish way. Exactly. So you, yeah, that's why we picked that date. Cause you said distortion mm-hmm. and I've learned now, if I'm going to go to Europe and do three cities, I need to be there for at least 10 days to get like three or four days per city. 
because every time I rush it, it never works out. So we planned the date around distortion. And then I feel like when I went to Barcelona, I studied abroad and I didn't have the best time because it was a study abroad trip with my school. So we had all these plans. Like we had to be at the museum tour at 9am. We had curfews. We like, we're just doing a lot of the touristy stuff. And so I always had this kind of like negative idea about Barcelona that I was like, it's not that great. I don't understand why everyone's obsessed. And then you always raved about it. And you're like, it was the best time of my life. You met your husband there. You're like the happiest I've ever been. Yeah. We went to like two different cities somehow. (laughs) Yeah. So I was like, okay, well then we're doing that. Let's start from the very, very beginning. What made you move to Barcelona back in the day? Okay. This is kind of funny and it's a very weird story, but in 2013, I had a friend who I met in Italy come visit me in college in Florida. (laughs) And then she stayed at my apartment for a weekend and we were catching up. We had only met once in Italy. And she was like, I'm going to study abroad next year for a couple months. You should really come visit. But I was still in a relationship. And I told my ex-boyfriend at the time, and he was like, "Uh, if you're going to go to Barcelona, then we're done. And I immediately was like, well, okay, I'm going. (laughs) Like, let's do this. So... She left at the end of 2013 and that same month when she left, I was like, I'm just going to buy tickets and go stay with her and figure it out when I get there. But I knew I could only go 90 days. So I bought my tickets and then I told my parents and I was like, hey, I'm going to Barcelona. I'm going for 90 days. I don't know what I'm doing there, but I feel like I need to go. And my parents were like, okay no problem. Let's talk this through and we can come up with a plan. And I was like, okay, actually I'm leaving in two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> That's you're just like, Bye. And I was like, I need to go. I feel like I have this calling, like now's the time and I have to do it. And my parents just kind of had no choice because I already booked the ticket. So I went and I seriously fell in love with the city. I thought it was the most beautiful city. We had so much fun. We were staying out till six in the morning. And when I got home after three months of being there, I was like, I need to find a way to move there permanently. So I came home and I looked into like yoga retreats. I looked into working in a hostel, like every way. And then my cousin who was teaching English in Japan was like, why don't you just try to teach English there? And I looked, found a program, I signed up, and I was applying for a visa like that month and gone the next month. (laughs) What? So it was was easy to get a visa because you did the teach English one or like work one? Well, it was actually a student visa. So I had to sign up and get certified to teach English for four weeks. And after that, I was allowed to be there for nine months as a student. And my student job was to teach one free class in English a week. So that was kind of like my agreement with the school. So that's, they were basically sponsoring my visa. And in return, I was working for free for them. Sounds like it was an easier process than, let's say, like the UK. Like I've heard the UK is like almost impossible to get into. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people go to Barcelona and teach English for that exact reason. Like if you're American and you're looking for a visa, it's kind of an easy way in. And I know like plenty of people that did it and once they got their visa, they wouldn't even show up to teach for free. Like it's it's pretty shitty, but yeah, a lot of people end up doing that because they've already got what they've wanted out of it. And then 
they just go and travel around Europe and they can be there for nine months or however long they do their visa for. And then once your visa is over, then your 90-day travel visa starts. So you can actually stay for another three months. So this visa wasn't just a quick in and out visa? No, like I knew, well, my my ideal plan was to teach in Barcelona. And when my visa expired, I was going to travel for the 90 days and then work my way to Asia. So I was looking into teaching English, but somewhere I wanted to try something different. But I didn't make it there. Didn't make it there. My story changed. Story in a second. But do you, I'm confused. Like you only knew that one friend in Barcelona. So it's hard to say that I really had a friend. So the previous year when I was there for the three months, we went out every single night and I would befriend anyone who would speak English to me. <laughs> and I met this guy and we were talking and we ended up like hanging out a few times and stuff. But he was my only real connection. He was from Barcelona. So he lived there with his family, had his group of friends. He was the only person that I knew. So when I went back the following year to live there, I immediately reached out to him before and was like, hey, I'm moving back. Like we should meet up. And actually the first weekend I was in town, I brought my roommates with me and met up with him and his friends. And I was like, so nervous. Like I got super drunk and was just like, I couldn't even handle myself because I was so shy and so nervous to go out with them. And like, is everyone going to like me? And how is this all going to play out? Oh my God. But luckily they like forgave me for that night. And I ended up becoming friends with his entire group of friends and like, we stayed in contact that whole year. So that was nice to know someone, but I wouldn't say it was my strongest friendship in Barcelona. But it was nice that I had somebody to help me. And a local is always a nicer. Yeah, but that's so crazy. You didn't even know like one person from college or family member. No. And I, I don't think at that time I knew anyone really... Besides you, you had gone to Valencia for the summer. Yeah. You studied abroad, but besides you and I think one other, I didn't really know anyone who went for an extended period of time anywhere. And so you went, basically, it was just like, whatever's going to happen, happens. We'll see how this goes. (laughs) Pretty much. And I I don't even think I really told that many people because it all happened so fast. Yeah. And this was like before Instagram was a big thing and like people exactly like crazy announcements on social and Facebook was like almost just like a photo album housing thing. It wasn't like now where you have to announce every single thing about your life. Definitely. Like most people thought they had a lot of people had a misconception that I was just partying in and out of Barcelona. (laughs) No one actually knew if I moved there, what I was doing. I'm pretty sure 90% of the people I was friends with had no idea I was even teaching English or had a job. So they were like, she's just a socialite now in Barcelona. I think so. A European socialite. Well, what do people not know about you moving there? Would you say that they didn't really know you were teaching? Yeah, I would say the biggest misconception was that I was just there to party and have a good time, which I did. However, I still had to wake up and teach like four days a week. And what? yeah, I mean, it's only like three hours a day. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's, no, it's not terrible. But I would say 
that was the biggest misconception. Everyone thought I was there just to party and have a good time. But I really did have a job. I was teaching English. And I think people didn't realize if I was there for like long term, short term, and like how it all played out. But yeah, because I even remember myself, like we were good friends. But I think at this point, I moved to Chicago. And I was like, in my own bubble. And I remember even being like, I really don't know what she's doing. I don't know how long she's over there. Like, I don't know if she's coming back, if she married someone. Like, it was all kind of like really ambiguous where everyone was just like, what is Brianna doing? Like, no, that is definitely true. And I kind of like, I like at the time when I went, it was like such a nice period because Instagram wasn't big yet. And Facebook, like you were just saying, you weren't posting a ton. And I kind of like that as a part of my experience because people didn't know what I was doing. And I didn't spend the time to explain to people that I'm not really friends with. It was just very nice and refreshing to be there and just like enjoy the moment. And I also only used my phone at my apartment on Wi-Fi. I didn't get a SIM card. And it was so nice because you had to like speak and become friends with people and socialize. And I think that's the biggest problem now when people are going is Mm -hmm. that they have access to their phone and they kind of use it as a crutch. Like it's so easy to sit on your phone instead of reach out to the person next to you or the table next to you and be like, Hey, where are you guys from? And now people only want to go to places because it's a great Instagram picture or it has good Instagram food or whatever the case is. It's not like, wow, I genuinely love the vibe of this place outside of what it like what the menu is. Exactly. It's crazy. I remember when I studied abroad, I had a digital camera and Facebook, Facebook was around obviously, but Instagram I didn't even think had come out. And I have the same experience where I was like, this is probably why it was the happiest time of both our lives. Cause we were not doing things to show it off. We were genuinely like connecting with people. Like if you wanted to go talk to someone, you literally had to go to their apartment, knock on their door, ask them that they wanted to like hang out that day, call them and make plans, like show up at the restaurant and say hello. Same thing. Like I didn't, I'm almost positive. My parents didn't get me in an international plan. So right. I only had Wi-Fi and I'm like, well, but I didn't need Wi-Fi because I wasn't like on Instagram or anything. So I never exactly like you didn't have a reason for. And I remember we would have like meetups and we'd be like, OK, seven o'clock meet in front of the hard rock and then we'll come up with a plan and we'll all walk together. Like that's how it was. And that's so nice because you also had to figure out where you were and like direction and. I don't know. I think it, I think that's what made it a little more enjoyable for me also. Yeah. Well, now that I'm moving abroad, cause now I'm following your footsteps, but going the other way, mm-hmm. I'm in the plunge to Australia and I have the luxury of knowing it's an English speaking country and they like Americans. What was your experience moving there? Like, did they like Americans? Did you have any issues adjusting? Okay. This is a funny question because I think the, biggest difference of going to Barcelona compared to the rest of Spain is first of all their primary language is not Spanish it's Catalan Mm. so the moment you step into a restaurant or something you're not hearing like I'm familiar with Spanish I grew up with it so I can understand but I'm horrible at speaking it but when you go into a restaurant and you're only hearing this foreign language and then to realize oh they're all speaking Catalan I think that was a little hard for me And the Spanish are very passionate and they love their culture. They love their language and they want you to embrace it. So it's kind if you're going to go to a Spanish restaurant, you have to speak Spanish, whether you're horrible at it or 
you have a great accent, they, they're not going to switch over to English. Mm, so you have to learn. So I think that's nice though, in a sense, because that pushed me to speak Spanish because right. they can understand Spanish. Of course. Yeah. I like, they don't expect you to speak Catalan, but they do expect you to speak Spanish. So it was a nice push when I first got there, but it was definitely intimidating. Like I remember being there and just being like, oh my God, I need to go take a shot of vodka so I can go out and order in a restaurant because right. I was so nervous. Oh my God. That's the one thing that I keep freaking out about my trip and all my friends over there are like, Chelsea, everyone speaks English. All the signs are in English. Like you're going to walk around and you're not going to be like, whoa, like which way do I go left or right? Like you're going to know. But, no, definitely. But I also had to really dive into like what I had to pack, what I had to save, like how much, how expensive it was. Like I had to figure out the cost of living in Sydney. Did you do any of that research or how did you figure out like, what am I bringing? Am I just safe? Am I bringing my savings account and figuring it out? Like walk us through all of that. Okay. So the previous year, like I said, I was there for 90 days and I was renting a room. I'm not kidding. I was paying 200 euros a month to live in a small apartment. Like it was fine. It was nothing fancy, but it was 200 euros. So I quickly realized when I was there the first time, like, okay, it's cheap. The cost of living is very low. The groceries were inexpensive. I can figure this out. So when I booked everything, I think I had saved up. I only had a couple months in between to save up money and I was doing nannying on the side. I want to say I put $1,500 in savings. However, I will admit my parents said, if you're going to move there, we'll help you. We will pay your rent each month. So, and that was only $500 a month. So it's still nothing crazy, but my parents did say, okay, we'll help you with this. Use your savings for the rest. And you're going to be teaching, earning an income. So you also have money coming in. Like it was nothing intimidating for me. And like I said, it's very, very cheap to live there. Which I think is surprising because it's such a big city in Spain. I think anyone thinks a big city is going to be super expensive. And you were saying that you were getting by fine. No, definitely. I mean, you spend maybe a hundred and you're a single person. You spend maybe a hundred dollars a week on groceries. If you go out to a Spanish bar, you could pay two euros for a beer, which is absolutely nothing. A coffee is the same price. It's very, very, very cheap to go out, have a good time. I would say it's probably the most inexpensive city I've been to. And also, if you do want to go somewhere that was expensive, like you want to go to the nightclub on the beach, it'll be maybe 20 euro for a drink. But we would all drink at home, pregame, have a good time or go to a bar before. And then you go to the expensive club. And of course, guys will buy you drinks or you pay for one yourself. But it was never anything ridiculous. I would say Copenhagen is much more similar to New York City or Chicago Compared to Barcelona, I really, really believe that it's probably the cheapest place I've been. What about the menu del dia? Can you tell us those are? Yes. So the I recommend this to anyone who goes to visit. You can always go for lunch, which lunch starts around one o'clock in Barcelona. That's like the earliest you can go to lunch is one o'clock. That's when restaurants open. And if you order the menu del dia, it's an appetizer 
a main course, a dessert, a glass of wine, and you usually pay maximum like 20 euro. You can find them for 10, for 15, or you could go to a very nice restaurant and pay 30 euro, which is still not a lot of money. And it's excellent food. It's very traditional. It's a slow, long lunch. You can expect to be there for like an hour and a half, maybe two hours. People are going to get confused. Why would you spend so long at lunch when that's like America, you're in and out in 30 minutes? Oh, okay. I forget this now. But yeah, that is true. I would say in Europe as a whole, you would never eat a lunch faster than an hour. <laughs> it. It's almost like rude if you were going to sit and go so fast. It's like you're too good to be there in a sense. Like you don't have the time. You're not giving your time to your coworker or your friend or your family member. If you're sitting down eating really fast and like, oh, I have to go to work. It's like you have to go to work. Everybody else has to go to work. What do you mean? Like anyone has the time to sit down, have a conversation, have a good meal. But yeah, you would never, ever eat lunch at your desk ever. I don't even think it's an option. I was gonna say, even if you have like an urgent client request or someone's calling you, you wouldn't ever like go to lunch and see like five people being like, sorry, I got to stay behind. Absolutely not. (laughs) Because they set aside an hour to two hour, there's a window of time. Or okay, let's say 30 minutes to an hour in a very like, fast working environment where things need to be done or you have a lot of meetings. But if it's, if it's not, even if you're teaching English or doing whatever, you would still set aside at least an hour for lunch. And then there's also the Spanish siesta, which takes place for two solid hours. And that is when a lot of people go to lunch also. And that's from like three to five o'clock. What is a siesta? Like what is this whole so siesta is basically what it used to be where people went home, had lunch and took a nap. You go home or go out for a lunch around two hours. And also like if you go to do groceries or shopping, all the stores are closed at that window of time. So people are, it, it is a part of tradition and culture. Like everybody knows it. So everyone embraces it. It's not something new or, or only one neighborhood does it or anything. Exactly. Everybody does it. And that's just the way of life there. And I find in Copenhagen as well, it's not as long, but there is still that time set aside to go get your lunch, take a walk outside, sit, eat, enjoy it, and then come back to work but not work at your desk, eat a sandwich, hurry up. It's just not, I think that is the American way. I think we as Americans have adapted that and we're like best known for it, but I'm not sure anyone else in the world is really eating lunch at their desk. (laughs) Crazy. And I didn't realize how bad it was until I traveled and started seeing other cultures or hearing about it or someone making a comment that was from a different country because I used to be scared that if I took my lunch break, I looked like I wasn't a hard worker. And so I used to email my boss and tell him where I was going at lunch so that he didn't think I was like a bad worker and I was in grad school. So I would literally send him calendar invites being like, going to take a quiz at school, going to study. And then finally one day he's like, it's your lunch break. I literally don't care what you do with that hour. You can go take a nap, watch TV, like 
you can stop sending me these invites because I don't need to know what you're doing in the hour. And then it finally clicked like, okay, I can take my lunch break. I don't have to be scared. But even then it's, it's this unsaid thing in America where it is kind of like frowned upon if someone, if someone in their first day was taking an hour lunch, I feel like people would be like, wow, that girl's like really ballsy, like taking her whole lunch break. Totally agree. Or they'd be like, wow, she's lazy. Like, why is she going home enjoying her lunch? It, I think it is looked down upon, honestly. Or even if I was like, um, yeah, I finished my lunch quickly. I'm going to go walk outside for the next 45 minutes. People would be like, what? Just get back to your email. Like, why would you take a 45 minute walk? That's crazy. Yeah. but And Casper has, that's literally the situation he's in now. Like when my husband eats a quick lunch, if he takes leftovers or has a sandwich, he always leaves the office to go for a walk or run an errand or do something for himself and then comes back to the office. So even if he does eat quickly, because he doesn't go out for lunch, if he does eat fast, he still leaves, takes a break, walks out of the office, and then comes back and does work. So it's very European, like you said, as a whole, not just Spanish to take Definitely. break. So that's something that I learned when I was in Spain how long the dinners were like we would be there for three to four hours and then you learn to embrace it because you just keep getting sangria and bottles of wine you eat slower but I remember like my first two weeks when I landed in Valencia I was like holy shit like why is this dinner so long this is the worst service I've ever had like not tipping them and then everyone's like that's exactly why they take long because you don't tip they're not there to turn over tables they don't give a shit like you said, it's customary to like sit and enjoy. That's how they celebrate like life with friends and family. And it didn't hit me until like a month in that I was like, okay, this is actually nice. Like we can all go to a four hour dinner and genuinely catch up. But I think that would be surprising for any, anyone that hasn't been to Europe or especially an American visiting Barcelona or Spain specifically might have a hard time adjusting to the meal times when visiting. Oh, definitely. I think that that might be like one of the biggest because it, you will never just go in and out for lunch or dinner. And also, especially in Barcelona, their dinners start at nine, nine o'clock at night. I'm telling you, restaurants do not open until eight o'clock the earliest. That's wild because I feel like here I eat dinner at six or six thirty. Oh my God. And I have two kids. I eat at like five 30. But that, I think that's probably one of our biggest tips is get ready for long meal times. And not because they're saying like, Oh, we're not coming to your table. We don't care about you. Like it's quite the opposite. It's like, no, you should be sitting down and taking slow bites of your food and time in between each bite to catch up with a friend. Um, cause I remember when I had a friend visit with me, she was like, wow, this is the worst restaurant I've been to. They're taking so long. And I was like, Oh my God, this is so awkward. It's just like the way of Europe. But that's what you got to deal with. Exactly. I feel like you should almost tell every, like when people ask, Oh, what do you think about this city? Or what's your advice? I usually always mention that kind of first, especially if they've never been, because I feel like it is a turnoff if you're not used to it. And then you're sitting waiting for this service, you're not going to get it. And it's not anything about you. It's not because you're foreign. It's because they genuinely want you to sit, enjoy your company, and then enjoy the food. They don't, they don't want you in and out fast. And it's almost disrespectful to like eat and run. Well, and I guess the other tip we should tell people is that they don't tip. You don't tip in Europe, really. Oh, that's true. Yeah. So that's why in America, they're trying to get you in and out and turn that table over quicker because that's another table they could get in line 
that they would make a huge tip off of where in Europe, they don't work for tips because they have higher minimum wages. So they're like, stay here as long as you want. I'm making the same amount of money, whether I flip five tables or one. Exactly. And I think people also get confused with the tipping as like in America, you know, you want good tips. So you're going to be a little like over friendly, like, hi, how are you? Welcome to Chili's. How's your day going? Oh, that's great. And when you get to Europe, it doesn't matter what country you're in. If they don't know you, they're not going to ask how your day is going. <laughs> they, they don't know who you are. They're not going to ask what you're doing, how your mom is. And I think that's also, even for me to this day, sometimes I still, when I do get homesick, it's little things like that because that's what I'm used to. So if I go to a restaurant and, or a grocery store and no one's like, hey, how are you? I'm kind of like, oh my God, did I look at them the wrong way? Or are they having a bad day? Should I ask how they're doing? And then I have to stop and realize this is their culture. This is their way of life. They're not going to ask me how I'm doing. They don't know me. Like we don't have a relationship. So I think that is a big difference. And still to this day in Copenhagen, I get a little put down especially in the winter when everyone's colder no one's talking as much and then to go walk into a restaurant and people aren't greeting you the same right you you almost take it personal at first like you said it's not like we hear that only in restaurants it's at a grocery store it's at the coffee shop it's when you get in an uber it's literally even in an elevator if you're with someone they're like hey what's up like how's your day and it's funny that to us it's just regular everyday life and I remember I met these people from Sweden when we were in Mallorca and they're like, Americans are like so positive, enthusiastic. It's actually so annoying. I want to throw up. <laughs> <laughs> no, but my husband says, he says we're disingenuous, like in a sense that we, you don't, he's like, you don't know that person. And are you really wondering how they're doing? Or you're just saying it because it comes natural for you. And I get that now because I'm like, hmm, that's a funny way of looking at it but even in our apartment building when we walk past each other they will smile at me and that that is their way of being friendly but I'm like hi how are you and they're kind of like good and move along quickly but it does make sense like they don't know me that well so yeah I can't expect them to be American and they can't expect me to be Danish like we're all gonna do whatever feels the most comfortable for ourselves. But wait, how is it in Australia though? Are they tipping there? They don't tip because their minimum wage is really high too. Um, okay. But they, and I don't know how it is with like the, Hey, how are you's and stuff? I know they're super sarcastic and self-deprecating. And I said, that's going to be my biggest adjustment. Cause yes, I'm sarcastic and self-deprecating, but I think there is, there's, that's like their language is just like, constant sarcasm and self-deprecation that I think at some point I'm going to be like, okay, like, was that actually a personal attack or were they joking or like, okay, why are we still joking about this? Can we move on? Like, because especially right. in America right now, like there's so much sensitivity going on and like, we're already so enthusiastic and like positive. And even though like, it's funny that that Swedish lady said that, cause I was like, I feel like Americans are always negative and like talking shit about themselves and like never happy with where they are. So I think she just met in the like, Hey, how are you sense? But I don't know how it is in Australia and I'm curious to see like how I'm going to adjust to that because even though they're English speaking and even though I'm sarcastic, I don't know if I'm like prepared for that level of self-deprecation. 
Right. Like you're not used to it daily, but I found the same. And that is also actually common in Denmark. So when I was living in Barcelona and three Danes moved into our apartment, they only spoke in sarcasm. And after like week two, I remember just being like, are you mad or what is the problem? Because it's, it's okay every once in a while and you can make a joke. But after a while, I'm like, I don't get it. Like, are you very upset? Is this your language? I don't understand. And I didn't know if it was a language barrier issue. And then I quickly realized like sarcasm was their way of making jokes and like breaking the ice. So I got used to it, but still to this day, I don't know if for me, it's just not my favorite way of communicating. I'm scared of that, especially because now that I'm watching shows with like Australian people on it, I can see what it, what they mean. Like that's the advice an Australian gave me. And I'm like, Oh my God. Like you said, if it's every day, day in, day out, every conversation, I'm going to be like, do we need to talk? Like, are you just like passive aggressive, like coming at me? Because in America, we're not like ready to face that like level of sarcasm. Exactly. It's almost like someone's insulting you. And then after being like, Oh, well, I'm just kidding. It's like, but you must mean some of this in there. Like, why are you even saying it then? Exactly. Like, where is this coming from? Well, what about I'm thinking of packing, like I'm about to start packing. And I I was originally going to bring two small suitcases and a big one. And now I think I need two big ones and a small one because I'm going to go for a year and there are seasons in Australia. But looking back, like if someone were thinking about moving, or even if you had advice for me after moving to Barcelona, what would you pack and bring? Okay, so honestly, I brought two large suitcases of my stuff. And then I packed one carry on because I knew I'd be traveling during that time I was living there. So I kind of needed the carry on or or else I would have just had to buy one once I got there. But I think the funny part is when you're packing, I would say your clothes are your least worry. Because once you get there, you're going to see what everyone else's style is. And you're going to kind of want to adapt and change your style a little bit. So you'll do some shopping. But I would say what's the most important to bring would be things from home that you can't replace, like your own pillowcase, a blanket that you use every night, a candle that you're used to smelling or essential oils, stuff that you might not be able to get there. Yeah, because I remember when I was homesick or something, if there was a familiar smell and my blanket on me, that would comfort me. But to have your entire closet of clothes, like that's not going to bring you happiness or joy. And I mean, I love to read and I love to write. So I brought every single book that I knew I could read more than once. And I brought a journal. And I think that's kind of it for the most part, because toiletries, clothes, like I said, shoes, all of that you can buy, but it's kind of like the things that'll bring you back to home that you should focus on the most, at least, I think. No, that's a good tip. Because I was kind of lucky when I moved from Chicago to Florida, I already had to basically sell everything because I was moving across the country. So I didn't have all my like kitchen stuff, like a crock pot and silverware, like all that stuff was gone. I sold all my dishes, like my steamer, my vacuum, like all that was given away. So I only came with clothes and shoes that I, I think this was like the most serendipitous accident that I've ever made was that when I moved, I kept a lot of my boxes in my parents' garage 
And then I started living with a girl in Orlando and I was like, Oh, I'll just bring a box every single time I come to Orlando and unpack it. And I actually just never did it. So now that I'm about to move to Australia, I'm like, well, wait, all that stuff was just sitting in my garage for almost a year. Clearly I don't need it. If I haven't worn it in an entire year, like I was never like, where's that one vital piece that I've been dying to wear? Like, I don't need it. So I actually opened up all the boxes and there were probably three cool like leather jackets and like cool jackets that I'd want to wear that I took out and the rest I was like I'm not even looking through this because I know that I don't want it so I got lucky in that way but then I started looking at my closet again and I was like okay you need to do a test like if you have not worn this in six months and be truly honest with yourself like not for a special event you've been to special events in the last year and you haven't worn this are are you going to need this and it was so hard because there's some like cute dresses and like fun little summer outfits, but I'm like, you literally have worn this once in the last 18 months. Like it's got to go. So you just have to be like really honest with yourself. I feel like when you're packing. No, I could not agree more. Like I remember being so attached to certain clothing items. And then I had to like reach a sense where I was like, okay, is this really going to bring me happiness? Am I going to be out in Barcelona and be like, oh, thank God I wore that white romper. Like, no, that's not what's going to make the memory. So I had to let go of all the material items and realize like those are replaceable and I'm going to change style. And also I was coming from Florida. It's hot 12 months of the year. It's there's a couple days where you need a jacket. And I realized that I was going to Barcelona. I was moving in February and it was actually like 40 degrees, I think. And one of the first days I was there, it snowed in the Northern part of Barcelona So it was important for me to realize, what do I actually need? I need one real good jacket and then a leather jacket, a spring one. But I I don't need all these basic extra dresses and jumpsuits. And yeah, so you really have to be honest with yourself and decide what am I going to actually wear and what can I replace while I'm there? Right. And even with things like accessories and heels. Like today I went through my jewelry and I I actually really like all my jewelry. And I was like, but think about it. I I only would wear necklaces to like work conferences or big client meetings. And now that I'm literally going to eat, pray, love, I'm like, I don't need any of these like statement pieces. I'm not going to wear it out. Even if I go on a date, like I'm just not going to wear a necklace like that. So I literally brought my jewelry to work today and set it up on my desk as if I was having like a jewelry garage sale. (laughs) And I just like had all the girls from work come look at it. And I was like, this sucks because I actually like all these like necklaces and cuffs, but I, I'm being serious. That's like another like pound of just necklaces and earrings that I don't want in my suitcase that I don't absolutely need. Like it's just not worth it. Exactly. It's, it'll end up being like a tangled mess and it's not something that is going to change your experience while you're there. And honestly, in high school, I was so obsessed and like self-absorbed of like how I look, what am I wearing? Do I have the best necklace, earrings? And it wasn't until I moved away and I could only bring a limited amount of stuff that I realized like that's not who I am. That's not what I need. That's not going to bring me happiness. And to this day, I, I mean, I wear like a wedding ring and that's kind of it. I'm just, it, it, occasionally I'll put on earrings or something, but it's not a mood changer or a game changer for me. So like you said earlier, like, wow, is that one white romper in Barcelona going to transform my experience? It's like, probably not. And even like heels, I literally was about to keep four pairs of heels 
just in case. And I was like, I'm five nine slash five ten, depending on what doctor I go to. I literally only wear heels at weddings. And even then I end up taking them off on the dance floor. And I'm like, I wish I would just wear sandals. So, and then I always think of like, Oh, what if I go on a date? And I'm like, I'm still so tall that I don't like wearing heels on dates. So why am I going to save all these heels just in case that are also probably a pound? Cause they're so heavy. Like be honest, like you should almost do an evaluation for two weeks of like, what do I wear every day? That is absolutely basic. And think of that as your baseline versus like these what ifs and just in case scenarios. No, definitely. And I don't know how it is in Australia, but I would say Europe as a whole, you are walking everywhere or you're going on public transportation or you're biking. So you really aren't going to wear heels unless, you know, if you're in Barcelona, you're going to the W Hotel, you're going to take a cab. Okay, how many times are you going to do that? Then you really only need one pair of heels. And if something comes up and you're like, oh, I just met the man of my dreams and we are going on a date, then you're going to go to the store and buy yourself a new pair of shoes. There is a Zara and an H&M on every corner. You will figure it out. Yeah. By the way, H&M is the cutest thing in uh, Barcelona and Copenhagen. I have this leopard dress and all these earrings from H&M in Denmark. I love it. Wait, how how is it in Australia, though, when, you, are, when you're going out and getting around? Are you... Taking public transportation or are you walking? A lot of or? Use public transportation. I think there's still a lot of walking. Like everyone's so active there that I think there's a ton of walking. But it's also, I think, really spread out that you kind of have to take public transportation. Like you can walk too, but all my friends were like, yeah, you're going to be like biking, walking, busing. So that's the other thing I was thinking of. I'm like, when am I going to put on heels and be like, meet you at the restaurant, which is two miles away, like be there in four hours? I'm not going to do that. So. Exactly. But it is because we are from Florida and you have to drive everywhere. So you can like leave a pair of shoes in your car or change it up. But it is different once you move away and you realize, oh, I have to walk. I have to ride a bike. Like you just don't need it. What was in your mind the biggest thing or a misconception about Barcelona that maybe you had that you were just surprised when you got there that you're like, wait, this isn't what I thought or idea about Barcelona? I'll I'll tell you mine. I thought Barcelona was going to be way more Spanish, if that makes sense. Like, I thought we were going to be, like, having so... When I first went, I thought I was going to have so much trouble getting around. And, like, it was going to be super historical Spanish. Like, I don't know if that makes sense. But it's actually much more city-like than I thought. And much more expat-friendly than I thought. Whereas Valencia was truly, like, you walk around and you're in a cathedral in a plaza and everyone's like old school Spanish like doesn't speak English and I was like actually shocked that Barcelona wasn't almost the exact same thing that almost everyone I met in Barcelona was not from Barcelona if that makes sense no that definitely makes sense so I mean my dad and grandma were born in Seville which is the south of Spain and it's very similar to Valencia extremely traditional it's cathedrals, it's religion, it's tapas, it's Spanish food. And once you get to Barcelona, I mean, I don't know if most people know this, but they do want to be independent from Spain. They are trying to work towards their independence. They almost want nothing to do with Spain. So it is more diverse, I would say. But there's also a ton of expats, a ton of people that are living right now in Barcelona are not from Barcelona. So I think that is the biggest difference is that you can always 
find someone that'll speak English to you. And now all these cute little restaurants and brunch spots, they're all popping up. And I feel like they are targeted towards tourism and study abroad kids. And I think that's nice, but you can always, always, always find traditional Spanish in Barcelona. You just have to go there. Like if we had gone to Bourne or Gothic, they would kind of expect us to speak Spanish when ordering a table and ordering our menu. If you switch over to English and it's a good day, they'll definitely respond to you. But there are times like when I was in Barcelona, they'll kind of look at you and act as if they don't understand you because they want you to speak Spanish, which I get. It's their country. But you can always find places that'll speak English to you. And I think when me, you, Sierra, and Amelia went, we did kind of go to a lot of English-speaking, more Instagrammable places than traditional, maybe? Yeah, because I remember remember yeah. things were coming out with, like, cotton candy glitter and, like, uniform exactly. waffles. And I was like, I don't ever remember this being a thing when I visited Spain ever. <laughs> no, definitely. And even when I was there, it was only what, in 2015, so like four years ago, I feel like there was a lot less options that were English-speaking and geared towards Americans and study abroad and that whole culture. Because I do remember a lot of times being stuck with my Spanish, like trying to communicate or getting a little frustrated when I'm trying to order. So I think it is a lot better now, probably in general as like a whole everywhere when you travel, like it is just with social media and everything. I think the whole world has made English a universal language and that you can always kind of get around that. Way. Right. So it is easier for us, I would say more than anyone. Yeah, that's true. What was your biggest fear before you had moved abroad? Oh, so my biggest fear definitely was am I going to make friends like is this going to work out and am I is it going to be possible to make friends and it's funny because that ended up being extremely easy for me I was living with five other girls so that was basically like a free pass to friendship so I immediately even though we didn't all click and we were all very different it was one girl from France three Dutch girls and I don't even remember where that there was there was six of us living together I can't even remember but anyway we all kind of had this bond and that was a free pass then I had a four-week course to become certified with 13 other people to teach English and we spent every day together Monday through Friday from like eight to four so we immediately like had this bond because we were all nervous about teaching and it was something new for all of us. We were all there for our own reasons, but it was all kind of the same. We had all different experiences and paths to life, but we ended up in the same spot, all kind of seeking this different lifestyle. So that was, that was a group of friends. And then, like I said, the year before I had met a guy who was from Barcelona and I ended up hanging out with him and his friend group. So I kind of had that like local Spanish friendship. And I think that was nice too. And 
when people always ask me, oh, is it important to make friends with Americans? And how did you make friends? And what my biggest advice to that is be friends with everyone, anyone who will speak to you, like have, do not put all your eggs in one basket. Don't get a best friend. Don't fly there with someone and rely on that person to be like your buddy. You need to go and make your own friendships get a part-time job, volunteer, join a yoga studio. That way you have a bunch of different groups to be in. I think that is so important. And that's the problem I had the first time I was there only for 90 days. I relied solely on the girl that I knew, Stephanie, which I love her to death and I'm so thankful. But I literally woke up and like looked at her in the eyes and would be like, what are we doing today? Like, I just had no, I never thought, oh, I could go do my own thing. I literally would be like, so what are we doing? We're Siamese twins. What are we doing? Exactly. And she was in school. Like, she had classes during the day. So I would just kind of wait around for her to get home. And then we would decide. And looking back, I mean, I can't regret it because I think the time when I went after that, it opened my eyes to not do that again. But I wouldn't recommend it to anyone. I think everyone should go there with an open heart and open eyes and really make an effort. I remember in Barcelona, like we were, I was, I think I was walking to go meet friends and someone had walked out of a store. He was on the phone speaking English and I turned to him and I'm like, hi, where are you from? Like, I just heard you speaking. And we ended up becoming really good friends and like dating after that, just because I was so open to speaking to anyone who would give me the time of day, because I thought it was so important to get my own friends. And I never wanted to be alone. And if you don't want to be alone, you have to make an effort to befriend people like, and not everyone's going to jump at you. And you have to realize also it's okay if you get rejected. If you start a conversation and somebody isn't interested, it's okay. Then, you know, move on, but don't give up. You have to keep trying for friendships. That's a great tip because when I land in Australia, I'm staying with a girl that I studied abroad with for about two and a half weeks before I go on to do a yoga teacher training. And I was even thinking when I get there, like, I'm sure she's happy to show me around for, you know, one or two days. But I was thinking about when people used to visit me in Chicago, and I kept having to do like the same tour over and over again, like, okay, we're going to do the architecture tour, then we're going to go to Cindy's rooftop. Now we're going to go to a Cubs game. And after like, five people visiting, I was like, I'm going to give you a list. And like, you can go do it. And we'll meet up at some point. But like, I can't keep doing this tour. And I feel like, I don't want to put that on my friend to be like, do show me the Sydney tour where she's like, I probably already showed my family this people that have come to visit. And not only that, but she has a corporate job. So she can't be like, Hey, I'm going to give you an agenda today. So I was like, when I get there, I literally think I am going to use my class pass, which they have in Australia to do a bunch of different workout studios, try and figure out like one or two coffee shops that I could go into and order from every day. So by like the sixth day, I'm just familiar with bases because I know if I don't do that and I'm just like sitting there texting her, like, what should I do today? What are we doing on the weekend? Like, should we go out on Sunday? She's going to be like, Hey, like, love you, but you need to like leave my house right now. <laughs> so I'm like nervous about that, but I'm like, that's the only way I'm going to meet people is if I actually make a commitment to book these classes and like do things outside of her house or else I'm going to be like a hermit in her house. 
Right. And you have the upper hand because you experienced it in Chicago. Like you can understand where someone's coming from. And I think that's nice because you'll go into it with open eyes. Like, okay, I need to make my own friends, figure out what I want. What kind of experience do I want while I'm here? What kind of friends do I want? And I think that's kind of harder now with social media is people have so much pressure on themselves and like, I want the perfect picture and I want the best experience. It's like, you have to put your phone down and really make an effort and go out and like talk to people. And I think people actually have a hard time doing that now. I was just talking to my friends today at lunch. They were asking about my phone plan when I moved abroad. And I was like, I mean, I I think I have to get a SIM card, but I was like, honestly, it would be so nice if I could just have Wi-Fi and just use it when I need to, like when I travel to Europe where it's like, okay, I'm going to, I only can get on Wi-Fi if I like go to a cafe or something. But I'm like, I really don't want to be on my phone the whole time and like be looking at texts and Instagram and Twitter. Like if I could get around easier and had a better directional sense, I probably would leave my phone at home, but I'm like, I'm going to need it for like Google maps and stuff. But I was like, I really do think what made my Valencia trip so much fun and it sounds like people listening are going to be like, well, of course you were studying abroad and your parents helped you and you were like living your best life. And I'm like, no, I think it. I've been abroad now multiple times. And that was still one of my favorite times because I was not on social media. Exactly. It's a totally different experience. What about your husband? You met your husband in Barcelona, which I am shocked because you guys might not know this. Brianna won biggest party animal in high school. So when she told us she found this guy and she's like married to him and this is, I'm like, whoa, 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 what is happening? What's going on here? You need to walk us through the story of how you guys met and your whole little love story to where you are now. Okay. It's definitely a short story because we didn't know each other long before we got married, (laughs) but I was supposed to move out the last day of July was when my lease was up and I was only living with girls and my dad recommended that to me and my landlord was like that's great only live with girls perfect so anyway um July 1st rolled through no sorry August 1st and I hadn't found like I didn't find a new room and I was going out a lot kind of and I reached out to my landlord who I was actually friends with and I was like hey I didn't find a place, but I know there's two rooms in our apartment. Can I just switch rooms for one month until I find a new place? He was like, yeah, no problem. It's the front room is yours. It's the same price as what you're paying now. Like take it for 30 days and let me know if you need longer. So I moved rooms and the next day, three Danes moved in, a Spanish guy and a Hungarian. And I was like, okay, this is fine. But I was already living my own life. I had been there for seven months now. And I had my own group of friends. I had work. So I wasn't actually interested in anyone that had just moved in. Like I almost didn't give them the time of day because I was so busy. So they came and the first day I like greeted them. And I was like, let's all, I, like I bought beers and I'm like, let's get to know each other. But after that, I didn't really have time for them because I had a lot going on. And then two weeks into it, one of the roommates was like, oh, we should all go out for a roommate dinner. I'm like, oh, that's a great idea. So we all go out and I had talked to everyone in the house, but I didn't really know where they came from or what their story was. And I was sitting next to Casper 
And that was the first night that we really had a conversation and we started talking and he's like, oh, I studied abroad in Seville for one year. And I'm like, oh, that's funny. My dad's from Seville. My grandma is. And he's like, yeah, I speak Spanish. I'm like, oh, that's great. And then he's like, yeah, my parents actually lived in America for a few years. I'm like, oh, where do they live? And he's like, Dayton, Ohio. And I'm like, wow, my grandma lived in Dayton, Ohio. And then he's like, yeah, my dad is like this very serious business savvy engineer. And I'm like, wow, you're describing my dad. <laughs> so after a few bottles of wine and some conversation, I'm like, I have a lot in common with this guy. Like, it's kind of eerie in a sense that like, he w- it was almost like he was saying things that he knew I could relate to. Yeah, I was like, oh, this is a little odd. So anyway, so that was the first night we really had a conversation. And after that, it kind of sparked an interest in me. Like I was attracted to him. When he first walked into the apartment, I definitely noticed him. I was like, wow, he has really beautiful eyes. But I never thought about him. I just had a lot going on. And then after the conversation, I was like, hmm, like he's not so bad. Who is this guy? So that was two weeks after we lived together. And then... I think the next day we all were drinking and hanging out and I kind of like approached him. I was definitely more, I was definitely pursuing him more than he was pursuing me because their first impression of me was maybe I was a bit of a party animal and I don't want to say out of control, but I was definitely going a lot. I was going out a lot when they arrived because it was summer. So everyone goes out and everyone drinks too much. So they kind of came when I was at my peak of going out. Um, So they had maybe a different perspective of me. And then once that died down, the summer was kind of ending and a week had gone by and I started making green smoothies again and cooking clean. And Casper was like, okay, who is this roommate? Like, who are you? Like, do you have two personalities. Yeah, I can't understand you. So anyway, so he had asked me out on a date and we went out and it kind of happened fast because after that, we spent every single night together. Like he literally moved into my room. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And so yeah, it was really fast. We met August 1st and we got married January 20th. What? Yeah, so it was like five months, right? And what do you think was it about him that you were like, I haven't even known this guy a year, but I can see myself marrying him? I honestly knew right away. Like from the moment we spent the first night together, like watching movies and hanging out and getting to know each other. I remember I woke up and I went to get ready for work and he had gone to Starbucks and brought me back like my actual order of coffee and I just had never experienced somebody really listening and doing something so nice for me I think um and then that whole week he was just doing a bunch of little things that for him were nothing and for me it was everything yeah because in America we were like it was like nice if a guy texted us back we're like oh my god he's like an amazing guy (laughs) (laughs) No, definitely. And I remember he would go to get his own groceries and then he would get enough for both of us to eat together. And he would bring back sour candy for me. And I was like, oh, wow, like 
this is so so different than anything I've experienced so it was it's funny because it happened very fast but at the time all of our roommates told us you guys are going to get married. And it's just funny because I was so shy back then. I'd be like, oh my God, don't say that. Or I was so embarrassed. And looking back, I'm like, how did everyone look at us and realize that? And yeah. And I think I've told you this before, but I did like sit down and make a list because it was so odd to me when I knew I knew I'm like, something has to be up with this. Like he must be a serial killer. or He definitely is going to cheat on me. Something. So I remember going to the park with my friend and she's like, why don't you make a list of pros and cons? And I made this entire list of all the pros. And then I got to the cons. I'm like, uh, I don't know. I haven't really like seen anything in him that I don't like yet. And she was like, well, he's kind of short. And I was like, yeah, I guess you're right. I'll write that down. So I wrote down like kind of short. And that's like all I could come up with. And then I went home and realized I'm like, wow, like he really has every quality in him that I would want in a life partner. Like to give everyone perspective, how old were you when when you guys met? 25. And so you don't think it was like being naive, like, oh, well, we just have fun together and we're abroad and like we get along well because. I feel like I would get caught up in that story of like, oh my God, like I'm at this like really cute foreign guy and like we're getting married. Like, right. Oh my God. No, definitely. But I think the thing, I think why it did play out this way is because I did have those scenarios previously to Casper. So I did all of the like, oh my God, he's so like, he speaks multiple languages and he's taking me on these dates. Or I told you the story of the one guy I met and he would literally pick me up in his red Ferrari and take me out on a date and wine and dine me. And I was like, wow, this is the life. But when I went home, I would sit down and I would go to journal and I had nothing to say about him. It was more like a funny story, but I was not interested in him as a person. So then I quickly realized like who I'm into and who I'm not. And so when I met Casper and he treated me a certain way and we had so much in common and our morals aligned and we were roommates. So we were spending every single day together. You quickly learn who a person is when you're living together. So I think that also made a difference, but I don't know. I forgot about the roommate thing that usually it's like, yeah. you, you always hear, you don't know someone until you move in with them. And it's like, that's how you guys met. So like we started out together yeah you started out as roommates and then became lovers <laughs> exactly and we had only lived together for 30 days and then I found a new place and it was only four blocks away but he ended up moving me into that place and then he just moved himself into that place and then rented out his room because he was spending every night with me so we had already kind of decided that we were together and he asked me to be his girlfriend I think it was after like two weeks and I remember being like are you crazy like no and I went on a date with someone else because I was so scared I'm like why is this guy trying to like be with me you're like why is he like trying to trap me down yeah I'm like this is so weird so I actually went on a date with someone else and I ended up leaving the date because I wasn't interested in the guy. And I felt bad that I was there instead of 
being with Casper. So I, I actually went home and told him like, Hey, I just went on a date and yeah. So I think honestly, when you know, you know, and it sounds so cliche and a little annoying. Cause I remember before Casper, when people would say that, I was like, okay, like shut You're up. You're like, okay. Yeah. I'm like, what did you hear that in a movie? Like, stop. yeah, but it is true because I, I think I dated enough people before him to realize like what I want and what I don't want. Yeah. It wasn't like he was the first guy you met in Barcelona and locked it down. Like exactly. already dated around. So it wasn't even your first foreign dating experience. Like you had dated other guys. You had already been there for almost a year. Like, it's not like you were like, Whoa, a foreign guy that's living with me. Like, let me just jump on this. Right. And like I said, when he moved in, I didn't even approach him. Like we didn't approach each other. We weren't interested and neither of us were looking to be in a serious relationship. We both were kind of there for an experience and to have fun and to date around. And it definitely ended differently. Ended differently. But you know, what's so interesting that you said that my mom has said, and my parents have been married for almost 30 years is my mom got married Okay, they moved in together after one month. They got engaged after three months. And I always tell my mom, like, mom, how crazy would it be right now if I just met a guy and in 30 days I told you I was living with him and then 60 days later I told you I was engaged? Like, you would kill me. And she was like, no, I don't think I'd kill you. But I was like, that's just so weird for me to even think about. Like, how did you know that dad was the one for you to say yes to? And she goes, if I'm being honest, like, there were no red flags. Like, Anything he did, I literally could not think of one red flag. And that sounds really similar to your story of writing like a pros and cons list. Like you didn't have one con to come up with outside of like, he was short. That's not even a con. That's just like a fact. Exactly. Like I, I didn't look at him and think, oh my God, I wish he didn't do this or I wish he didn't do that. And just from brief conversations, like we had so many interests and morals like everything was kind of aligned and that was the first time in my life I think being with a guy that everything kind of lined up right and if there were cons because obviously we're not saying like this person's perfect I don't find him in times like it's just not a deal breaker where exactly where, where, it's something you could yeah. live with yeah like it's not like he's like oh I want to raise my kids a totally different religion and you're like oh I guess I'll do the same. Like you guys were like, no, this is how we want to live. We have the same like lifestyles. This is going to mesh well together. Exactly. Well, fast forward. Now you have two children. I can't even believe it. You guys, Brianna is the first one out of our high school group of friends, not to have one baby, but two, her first one just turned three literally last week. Her second one is adorable and was how old is she? She's not even two years. She's one and a half. One and a half, which is insane. So what was interesting about our trip is that there were three single girls and one married girl with two babies. And I was like, I don't know how this is going to work. Like, yes, Brianna has been to Barcelona. She's still going to drink and go out, but I don't know how she's going to feel going out with three single girls that are like boy crazy, ready to run around. What did you think when we booked the trip? Like honest opinion. I mean, for me, I was just excited because it was my first trip after having kids to go solo. So I just thought it was exciting. And for me also, I didn't have anything to lose or and I didn't have high expectations. I had already lived in Barcelona twice. So it wasn't like I was going to go there and be like, oh, my God, if I don't see this, I'm going to be disappointed. 
So for me, it was more like a relaxed girl time, fun time. It wasn't about the sights or the food or anything. And I think that's nice. That it was like a great first trip for me. Because if I would have gone to a city like that I had never been to and I want to see everything, like I would have been more nervous and wanting to get to everything and like a schedule and a plan. But it it just wasn't like that for me because I didn't really have any expectations. I just wanted to like relax and drink some wine and like have a good girl's laugh. All right, guys, we had to wrap this up for part one because I wanted to make part two totally different. A lot of this was talking about her experience moving abroad, how she decided to do it, how you can adjust. And I want to make sure that you guys can also hear about her specific trip and the customs that are also in Denmark. So we made a whole separate part, part two, which will come out next Thursday. You guys can follow Brianna at Brianna Lickegaard. I'm probably totally butchering her last name, but I will include it in the show notes and she'll actually help you plan a trip. At the end of part two, you'll hear her talk about how she loves helping people plan. Seriously, just send her a DM. She's so well-traveled. She'll literally send you a note of where to eat, what to do, what experience you want to have, if you want to have a chill day, what if you want to go out clubbing and stay out till 6 a.m. She knows it all, so I would definitely take her up on that. So again, go follow her on Instagram and shoot her a message. You can follow me at Chelsea Rife, follow my adventures in Australia as I head out next week, and DM me any advice that you guys have. I truly don't know anything about Australia. Also, you can email me at hello at inmynonexpertopinion.com. That's hello at inmynonexpertopinion.com. Shoot me any advice, questions, concerns. If you want to be a guest, I'm always happy to chat. So shoot me a line and we will see you next week for part two.